I'm Richard Lannan, rides with Canon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk to Guy Hubble, who is the Joint Managing Director of Regaled. In this conversation, Guy talks us through his fenestration journey, all the way from how it started to the position he's in today. So, without further ado, let's get started. Guy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me, Richard. How did you get into the fenestration world? We're going back a a good few years. Um, 1991, I came into this industry. I was 21 years old. I had uh, upset my parents by dropping out of university. They had great things planned for me. I thought I would finish my university, get a profession, get a job at at a real company. I'd actually left... In my second year, so I'd uh, left in 1990, I'd left university and I'd actually had a job as a management trainee at the Slumland Group, who manufacture beds. Yes. First job, and this was a, uh, remember my parents, they thought, well, if he's not going to get a degree, at least he's in a, working for big PLC, he's now getting professionally trained. Um, unfortunately, recession came. Uh, management trainees were cut back at the Slumland Group, and I, I needed gainful employment. I applied for a job at Regalette to work in the sales office. I do remember going home and saying, I've got a job. I'm going to be internal sales executive for Regalette. They uh, manufacture decorative glass products for the window industry. And the look of horror. <laughs> All that... Best laid plans, I was now going to be a double glazing salesman. Um, and in 1991, double glazing salesmen probably weren't as um, polished as they are nowadays, or as professional <laughs> as they are nowadays. That's a nice way of putting so it. So I now joined in um, yeah, 1991, working in the sales office. We're, we were small business, purely manufacturing self-adhesive lead, products to make, decorative glass, and we... Um, were part of a small group, which all the rest of the group had absolutely nothing to do with the window industry. And most of the the other group companies had no idea what we did. I think they actually thought we made double glazing as well. <laughs> I joined, had this job, sort of mixture of telesales, order processing. And actually it was a it was a really good fun time. And my boss at the time, a guy called David Rabone, Really need to thank David because he he took me on, 21-year-old, and knew nothing about the industry. Um, he encouraged me. He sent me on training courses. I do remember in the second year I was there, he dispatched me as to Dusseldorf for Glass Tech on my own and said, this will be good for your personal <laughs> development. Wow. Go to Germany. He didn't do anything as organised as book me a hotel. He booked my flights and said, when you're there, you'll be fine, guy. It says, there'll be lots of hotels available for you. So I arrived. Been doing this job for seven or eight months in in Germany for Glass Tech. No hotel. It was it was a learning curve, that's to say the least. I um, stayed for... Did that job for 18 months. And actually then... 
was offered a job as a competitor. Oh. In the days when there was a few people out there manufacturing lead, and it was actually a very, very competitive and cutthroat market. We were all fighting over the same customers, and I uh, was offered a job by a company called the Yorkshire Lead Company. Mm. Classic lead people may know it as. I remember going back to David as my boss and saying, I'm leaving. I'm going to go and work in the uh, in the sales office at Yorkshire Lead. He said to me, Guy, this is not happy. <laughs> Probably said it slightly, <laughs> slightly differently to that, but that's the, that's the cleansed version of what he said to me. I went and he said, he said, you're going to have to go on gardening leave. Brilliant. 22 years old. And I get a whole month off work before I start my new job. And I'm going to get paid more money for it. Um, so I took my gardening leave. And I do remember it was probably day 28 or 29 of my gardening leave. I think it was the, the Friday before I was due to start at the Yorkshire Lead Company. He rang me and he said, uh, Guy, uh, our sales manager, our only salesman on the road, has left. Oh. Would you like to come back and join join the company? David, Dad. What's the package? Do you know all the issues? He said, there's a uh, Ford Sierra in this. Oh. And not only a Ford Sierra, he was going to install a car phone in it for me as well. Well, sold. Sold. <laughs> I am. Red Sierra, car phone. So to hang my shirt in the back, I am now out there. Sales rep on the road. I remember coming back in on the Monday and saying, start my new job. Get the keys to... To the to Mont to the uh, Sierra, I've been saying to me on the day. He said, "How did how did they take it at Yorkshire Lad? That you twenty nine days into your gardening leave, you two days before you need to start. How are they getting? Oh, I'm going. Christ, I best ring them. I haven't actually <laughs> spoken to them yet. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it, it all went fine. I I did a job for a few years. Really, really enjoyed. I mean, I love this industry. Yeah. A lot of great people were it. We dealt with all the all the glass companies. Everybody made IG in the country as a potential customer. There was literally, I think at the time, there was probably 1,500 IG producers in the yeah, UK. Wow. We had a big customer base. We're still a small business. We're turning over, remember, in 1993 it was. It was the year we broke the million-pound turnover. Wow. Never made any money, but we, <laughs> we broke a million-pound turnover. But I, I spent my... Early 20s, driving up and down the UK, plying my wares, selling rolls of lead strip, sheets of coloured film. We'd introduced the glass bevels, which was oh, the big, big product. Yeah. That was in 92 or 93. We'd, we'd brought this range of bevels in. So I was back of the car, UV lamp, bottle of UV glue, Stick demonstrating it. the oh. product to people. If anybody knows me, I'm the most... in impractical person ever it was bevels stuck to people's counters <laughs> nothing was square i mean you would never have bought a, a a you know bevel top light off me but i it, it was good fun um learned a lot and uh got to 90 late 96 and i thought i need to move my career on i need to more, earn more money actually it wasn't as a big um big master plan of this is the steps of my career it's like 
I need more money. I've have a mortgage, I need to... So I um, I actually left and I um, got a job with a company called Alfas. And uh, anyone who's been interested long enough, they'll remember Alfas were the people who made security glazing tapes for when all windows were externally yes. beaded. Ah, uh, the amount of stuff. Alfas was this... They knew everybody. They dealt with the whole of the window industry because that's the whole business was based around it. So I joined them and my job is to not deal with anybody who makes windows. My, my whole remit is we are wanting to develop new customers outside the window industry. So the whole of the north of England is yours as a territory. But please don't see anybody who makes a window or is involved in the glazing industry. Oh. We'd like to sell double-sided tapes, silicones, sealants to all these other businesses. It's an interesting challenge. Five years of building up knowledge of the window industry, and everybody I'd ever dealt with was off the menu. Don't go and supply these guys. There's another sales team who deals with it. So um, it was good, great company. They were a really, really good company, actually, Alfas. Really enjoyed it. Dealt in other markets. We dealt a lot in the heating and ventilation sector, fire protection. Really good guys. Um, and about two years... I've been there just under two years, and I got a call from my previous MD, David. He said, "He said the small group that we were part of has got a new chief executive, and the new chief executive thinks that David needed a number two, another direct sales director, so, so we needed to strengthen the team." And David said, "Guys, you want to come back, rejoin the business as a sales director." Great, twenty nine years old. I can be a it's going to be great. I can be a director. And wow, do I get do I get the Sierra GLX uh, <laughs> as part of my promotion? But no, he he came back and he said, "No, I'll, I'll sort you out with without a Sierra." Um, I think I actually didn't have to have a car phone. No, I had a genuine mobile phone. <laughs> I came back in. Uh, I guess that would have been. Nine, I think late 98, early 99, I rejoined the business. We're still a relatively small company. Enjoyed it. Carried on doing what I've been doing for, but with this new role as director. We had another couple of sales guys. So it's a bigger sales team. And then so the big opportunity came 18 months after rejoining. This um, small group that we were part of, who had no idea what we did, had decided to break up. They were, I think they were actually... The smallest fully listed company on the stock exchange. And they had they decided we were going to break up the business and they were going to sell all the individual businesses and return the money to the shareholders. Well, the opportunity came for David as my MD, myself, to do a management buyout. So we Completed that management buyout in, I'm thinking it was August 2001. So I'm 31 years old. I am now a partial owner of this relatively small business making rolls of lead and sheets of film. And that's, the, that's when the, the realisation came, is I'm not getting out of this industry. Yeah. I am stuck in fenestration. 
stuck. I, I've, I love the industry. Um, did the management buyout. We, it's a great time for us. We were now privately owned. We had a bit of um, venture capital money in there, but we were, were still making money. We were paying down the debts. It was all, it, it, was, good, it was a good few years. We had our, we expanded the business. We introduced new products. Really, with a big change coming, two thousand six, where we made a, a fundamental change in the business. We went from being this supplier of components for decorative glass. We saw the advent of the composite door coming. We said, "This is not good for our business." All these PVC panel guys we deal with, who are making climbing roses and sticking owls and kingfishers into our panels. <laughs> These guys are all going to get swallowed up. The market was swallowed by the composite door guys. And composite doors is standard size glass. Standardization comes. Standardization comes. Cheap imports come. We've seen it happen in the US market. We made a decision in 2006 to start to import complete decorative glass units for this new composite door market that was likely to to, to grow and uh, it was probably the best decision we ever made as a business took us in a whole new direction it changed our complete customer base we weren't just now supplying the glass companies we were now in the window and door industry these guys who were buying from us were yeah to manufacture windows manufacture doors it it changed our whole um focus in the business and uh it's become a very very big part of what of what we do nowadays and what a lot of people know us for well, that's 2006 we we then continued to grow those businesses we continued to develop we were i think we're now four or five million pound turnover so we're a substantial growth over the few years yeah. And 2008, 2009, David, who had been my managing director for now on and off for 17 years, decided he was going to retire from the business. He wanted to move on. He was our largest shareholder. And uh, then came the difficult decision, what do we all do? Do we continue with the business? Do we... Can we find new shareholders? Do we sell the business? I love that. I couldn't leave this business. I, I love this. I love this business and the customers and the product. So we will, we will buy you out, David. We'll bring in some new shareholders and we'll buy you out. You can have your retirement and we'll reset again with a significant amount of debt added to the business, and then we'll we'll move it forward. And that. It was a an interesting time because we were, at the time, we were raising f- funding to to buy him out, try and bring on new shareholders. We were right in the middle of a recession. Two thousand eight, yeah. Two thousand eight recession. It was um, we we did actually find somebody who wanted to join the business. It's actually one of our suppliers, a small business called Cadram. They were made uh, machines for doing um. What would they call it? Um, surface applied resins. To most people, squirty lead machines. 
It's like we've been we'd been a distributor there for a few years. They were looking to do something with our business. They need to be part of something slightly larger to be able to give them their next stage of growth. We looked at it as a, a product that's fit alongside ours. The it worked as two things. And Darren, who had been running Cadram as part of his family business, Darren sold us the Cadram business. And he bought in to the to the enlarged business. Basically, it was a a merger stroke buy in, and um, and Darren joined us, and that was thirteen years ago. We came in, we agreed it would run the business now as joint managing directors. I would look after the sales, marketing, mainly the outward facing side of the business, and Darren would look after properties, the um, operational side, the warehousing, logistics, and look after the the inside of the business. And uh, so that was the the third phase of uh, of my time with Regal. I'd I'd had my employee stage. I'd had my first, the first management team after the management buyout. And then we went into the, um, into the third phase with, Joint managing director, new shareholders alongside us, a new business to get our teeth into. We'd bought this, this Cadran business, which is interesting, as well as making squirty lead machines, as we called them, it also developed a, a paint system for glass. Right. Yeah, that explains a lot. I think when we bought it, um, it had one customer who had actually bought a paint system. It was that much of the product was his infancy. I seem to remember also one customer hadn't paid them and subsequently went bust. So it wasn't a wasn't the most auspicious start to our entry into the into the paint business, but but we had a product and we then took the product and in reality converted this small CADRAM business into I suppose the third leg of our business. We had our Original Regal Ed business components. We'd now got this business making glass units for the composite door market, and then and then we got this third area, which was making paints predominantly for for glass flashbacks. Yeah, we sold the products all over the world. We did exhibitions in strange places. We were in Indonesia trying to sell the product. We'd go to the to shows in America, we we managed to build a quite a a, um, a a global network of customers who were who were buying this paint system, and a few customers in the UK. I suppose the that evolved. The big change for that evolved, and we two thousand no, two thousand thirteen, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. We looked at them and said, "We've got a paint business." have all these customers, and we have a business supplying glass to composite doors. Hang on, the composite door guys also want to paint their doors. Should we use our skill set that we have in the glass paints, manufacturing paint systems, and deliver it to the to door industry? Because the composite door was now in full flow as a market. We'd been pushing glass to these guys for six or seven years, 
but everyone was still making pretty much a, it's a red, blue, green, black or white door. Colour was the next thing that was going to come for the composite door sector. So we, a lot of time developing products, we got the right system in the end and we went to the market. We are going to grow our, our coatings business in the, um, in the composite door sector, which was actually a very successful move for us. It was a, we had the right products. We already had the customer base. It was a logical, I hate the word, synergy. But, it's, <laughs> but, but it was, and that's uh, sort of how Regal Ed evolved into this, to this other business of being not just a supplier of decorative glass products, but really now a, a specialist coating supplier to the window and door market. That's where we, sort of most of the story of how we, wow. where we get there and where I am and how, uh, how this business has changed and evolved from 1991, selling rolls of adhesive lead. I think we had 20 colours of film. Oh, we had a boning peg, of course, and a lead roller. You know, the, the important equipment to, uh, to, to, to make this decorative glass. So today we've, we carry 7,000 different products and we, we cover pretty much all aspects of the fenestration sector. Window companies, door companies, glass companies. Wow. It's been a... That's quite a journey. That is quite a journey. An interesting journey. Is it, well, my first question, though, what were you studying at university? I said I'd done my two years at university. <laughs> I'd actually done two first years. So I'd not even had managed to complete... <clears throat> I, wasn't, I wasn't two-thirds <laughs> of the way through it. I was a third of the way through it twice. Um, uh, first time, I um, did history and politics. Not that I ever had any plan to be a historian or an economist. <laughs> I was at Liverpool University. I uh, left after year one, so I don't, it wasn't my future. And I then actually went to Manchester University, well, to UMIST, there, the science and technology part of Manchester University, and I did computation of all products. Nowadays, computer science. And um, I have no idea how I ever got on the course. Um, <laughs> I think I'd, I'd, I'd owned a ZX Spectrum, and I... I wasn't particularly good at gaming on the thing. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm on a computation course, and everyone's saying, it's, this is the future. Actually, it was the future. Yeah, it the future. <laughs> but it wasn't my future. So, um, yeah, I, I did a yeah, year of history and politics and a year of uh, computation, of all things. And then you jump into the world of double glazing, where I can, uh, in the 90s, I don't think there was a single conservatory sold without lead or some sort of bevel in the fan lights. Oh, we are responsible for for, for a lot of. Um, <laughs> careful, I say I don't want to gel at the moment, but I'm res- we, we are responsible for a fair amount of bad taste that went into some of those <laughs> those um, um, early early nineties conservatives. But it was a huge business. the The bevel market was enormous. We were we got into that set. We were adding designs. People, and all we want. 
owls, we want kingfishers in bevels, and we we end up with, I think, 800 different bevel designs. Oh, wow. Most of them have st- still, we've still got in stock, <laughs> so if anybody would like a, an owl, a kingfisher, or a heron, that's a... They're still here. Yeah, no, it was. It was a very buoyant time for the for that kind of decorative glass look. And I think it was very smart going into the, the composite door world with those units because that's exactly where it went to. If they weren't spending the money on their conservatory and having the fan lights. I mean, I even had a lady once. We had a, a diamond lead porch in our showroom and it was only diamond lead on the one side. The other side, because it was a show, we were trying to show as much as you put, it was plain glass. And this lady insisted that she had her porch exactly the same as that porch. So she had diamond lead on the one side that had a window and a fan light with it. And the other side was just full height glass. And to this day, I don't know why she did it, but she just liked the look of it. I think it's good, but I think consumers like what they see. We know that we've, we've spent years working with customers, trying to get pictures of our product into their brochures or into their showrooms, because we know that people buy what they see. However, right or wrong it is, <laughs> or um, I can say in however bad taste, but taste is a personal thing. Yes. However much it's no, not she... my taste, or maybe not your taste, it was obviously that lady's taste. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, and we um, are probably responsible for but between us for some sort of crimes against taste in glazing, aren't we? But <laughs> but it's it's still, I mean, you're still selling lead. Lead hasn't gone anywhere. We're still selling lead. We are still processing. I think last year we processed 850 tonnes of product. It says it all. It's, I mean, we have a lot less competition in the market. There's, it's not as big as it was back in the 90s, but it's still, it still gives the more heritage look. A lot more of it now is square leading. It's yeah. Um, oh yeah, I'm just more picturing... heritage windows and these flush sashes. It's it's making a resurgence, I think, actually. As a, but will we get back to the days of climbing roses, owls in door panels, kingfisher bevels in a top light? It may get there. It may get Things there. Things always come back around. Yeah, they do. Come back into fashion. Styles, it'll be like the the original bullseyes in units. I think. Yes, it'll... we actually do make a bullseye. You have we, to. We, we have we we mentioned in the, in the sort of timeline back in two thousand and eleven. We actually bought a UK glass manufacturing business up in the and boards of Scotland. We'd added to our imported business, and we bought this business called Specialist Glass Designs. We now call it decorative door products and they then did and still do we make bullseyes that are going into into composite doors these these, um things have their then they come back if we're if you're here long enough everything comes back into fashion yeah it's, I try to explain that to people as well. It was the waste. It was when they tried to replace a unit and they used a bottle, didn't they? They used yes. to melt down the bottle and that was the end of it. And I said, and this is a conversation, a conversation I used to have with customers. And then they say, yeah, that's great. Um, I still want it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have one of those. It's a feature now. And I said, it's amazing how it's turned into a feature when really it was a piece of waste glass. I, 
you know, I, I had no idea that's where the bullseyes came from. Yeah, right? that's what I heard. It might be right. If someone can correct me, then by all means. But that's what I was told, that it was the bottom of the, of the bottle and a pane had broken. They'd mount it down and replace the units because, of course, they were windows were built up of single panes. There was this no is pre-float. This is the days pre-float yes. before you could yeah. make... So they would melt down a bottle and put it in situ, and then that, that meant that they didn't have to go and buy a new plane, a, a pane of flat glass. It would have cost them more, or cost them money, because most people had a bottle around. You sound very convincing on that. I'm I think, will. We'll have to fact check that myself. But I've I, told I people. I will pass that years. story on to other people, and yeah. it, will, it will. It'll go into folklore. <laughs> as, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, I'm glad that I could. Well, I hope it's true now. I'm going to have to test that. Otherwise, I have to cut this whole bit. <laughs> so, I'm trying to understand now. So, you you bought a business, and ultimately, for you bought the business that you tried to leave twice. Yes, yes, I did. By the, <laughs> I, I, I think I'd realised by the time I was, I was 29 or 30 when we bought the business that I was. I was. This was my. This was my business. I loved, yeah. you know, this, this was with my future lay. Um, I loved the business we're in. I loved the, the customer base we're dealing with, um, my colleagues. It was a, it was a good time. And I thought the opportunity came. But if if I'm going to spend my life in fenestration, um, I prefer to own a piece of the pie. And, and it, then it becomes those decisions that you make, those new products that you try and launch, it is it, your is your money. It's your business. You know the, the risk increases, of course, but I think the satisfaction of um, seeing it come to fruition when it's your own, it's your own business, and it was a it was absolutely the right decision to make. And I would never. I don't look. I don't think I've ever had a day look. Proper a few days. I probably look like a thought, Why did I do that? But I, but I don't think I've ever genuinely regretted that decision. I think it was, um, it was the right decision at the time. It was a good opportunity, and it it meant that our colleagues were also securing employment. If the group had decided to sell the business to somebody else, we could have been yeah, absolutely. we could have been moved. We could have could have been bought by the Yorkshire Lead Company after. Seven years after not turning up on day one, I could have turned up as a. I could have been, you. I could, I could have been two Peter Cross to him. Could you imagine that? Yeah, it's probably. It definitely, yeah, it helped you keep control of your life. I could it, imagine. It, it helped me keep control of my life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I definitely see that. And it's. So, and obviously, it didn't put you off. The buying process didn't put you off because you did it again. And yes. multiple occasions. For yeah, yes, I mean, yeah. I've been through that. That's due diligence and everything. The, the, the due diligence. The, the first time was, um, first time was more complicated. We had, because um, we had the group was selling to us. We had, we were the buyers. We had venture capital money in. We had bank money in. There was, I mean, and everybody, everybody had a lawyer, which we had to pay for. Oh, it is, it's, it's the way these sort of things transpire. That's so the, they, the buyer ends up with pretty much everybody's bill. That, Every, so they could pick any solicitor that they wanted, oh, and they could be phenomenal amounts of money, especially getting towards London and places like that. Which yeah, I, I can remember, imagine. I remember we signing that signing that agreement. We were in um in a in a um, solicitor's office in Manchester doing it, and I and everybody was present: the sellers, the buyers. We had our bank who had appointed solicitors, our VC. Which was Barclays Ventures that appointed their solicitors. 
but uh, there, was every, there must have been about 30 of us in the room. <laughs> and I was looking around the room thinking, this is going to be, this is, this is becoming an expensive evening. We just signed the deal as well. And there'd been all the congratulations and somebody had opened a bottle of champagne in the corner and said, well done. It was, it was, I think it was reasonably late in the evening as well. These deals never happen during normal working hours. Just, just managed to drag this out to the evening. We, we all signed a deal. We thought this is fantastic. It's the start of our new world. The money's in place. At which point, pretty much everybody in the room came to see our finance director has been had actually bought in on the same. Myself and David, a guy called Steve, who joined as our finance director, and he had he had bought in. And everyone came to see Steve to present him with, you know, pretty much with the invoice for their services. <laughs> so from having day one, it looked like we had decent cash. We had some cash in the bank to carry on trading. It, it disappeared very quickly as we yeah. paid lawyers, due diligence, everybody, everybody. Uh, it, we did it again nine years down the line. It, it was... Um, it should be much more straightforward. Willing buyer, very willing seller, wanting to leave the business. You know, it was all a, a straightforward situation. But but I still seem to remember the 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 um the Bible of called with documents still ran to several hundred pages, and still we ended up for two hours in a signing ceremony as we signed away our <laughs> signed away our lives. But all we're doing is. Exchanging one shareholder for another, but it's these. Um, maybe if I'd continued at university, not not joined a double glazing industry, <laughs> I could have had that profession that my, my parents so wanted. I could be a lawyer. Oh, who was, that... who didn't actually have to do any work; just had to present the bill. It yes. felt like, but yeah. Anyway, phone calls for half an hour and getting charged and things like that. Yes, exactly. yeah, it's. Uh... Has your job changed at all since? Because now you're getting into all these other companies as well. Do you get involved with all of them? Or are you sort of focused on one in particular? My, my, has my job changed? I mean, my, my, yeah, if I take my, my first, my first regal ad phase, you know, I was the employee, finished off as sales director. It was very much a, a sales role. Post-management buyout, so the, the next eight or nine years, as predominantly sales and marketing. Sales and marketing, product development. It wasn't, apart from I was part owner of the business, my job hadn't, hadn't changed. I've dealt with customers all day. I looked at new products. I went to exhibitions. I, I clocked up a fair number of air miles when we had pretty good international business at that time. My job, really, the big change came when we did the secondary round and change of shareholders, and um, became joint managing director. Even though I was still predominantly um, sales, marketing, and products, you know, my main role hadn't changed. Because I'd taken on top of that the the joint managing director part, which is you know, the the other challenges face the business. You're ultimately responsible for the. For the finance, you're responsible for your team, the culture that's being laid out in the business. That's a that's a it was a nice change. It was good to have new challenges. But fundamentally I still 
my love is still the sales, marketing, and develop and product development side of the business, and that's why I think it works very well with Darren and I, who's Darren very much likes doing the operational side. Does not want to do a podcast with you. <laughs> oh, that was going to be one of my questions. Yes. <laughs> we, could, we could volunteer him. You could, yeah. Uh, we may not be end up with joint managing directors <laughs> too long if I, if I put him up for a podcast. But he's got you. That, that, yeah. That's why it's a, a great dynamic team. It, it, is, it is actually a good dynamic. We are very, um, we're very different people. We are of similar age. We're both um, early 50s. Um, but we come from very different backgrounds. Um, you know, in our work out, my, mine's always been sales. Darren was very much, um, because he had the, the resume machine business, was manufacturing, engineering. Yeah. Okay, Darren, Keeping things efficient and getting it. Yeah. Yes. Darren, I like that. Darren, Darren, like, Darren likes making things where I have, I've known all the way from my life, I'm not very good at making things. <laughs> my, I don't have great DIY skills. So there's a dynamic between the two of us. It's, it's a it's a good a good balance in the business. Yeah, and it's I'm definitely seeing something because I was I was similar in that when you're in sales, marketing is definitely a part of it. And I know some yeah. people separate it these days, but they're very much together because you know what people need to hear in order to buy usually. That's how yes. I sort of that's how I sort of my marketing developed because I was with customers. But also the thing that a lot of people forget about is that as a salesperson, you're there to provide solutions. So you can also look into the future and say, that is going to solve that person's problem. That's where we need to be. And that's what you've also brought into this because you were looking ahead and thinking this could be, and and you've put those solutions in place and obviously grown the business in a completely different way that someone who wasn't in touch with customers, should we say, may not see. I mean, I think all businesses need to, Listen to customers, focus on customers. It's customers that drive our business. With no customers, we have no business. However good our operational structures are and how good our logistics are and however good our HR policies are, there is no business without customers. And this is a, it's a rapidly evolving industry. Yeah. And um, we, Regal Ed is in its 35th, 36th year, you know, we're, Maybe along with, you know, because before it was out, before I joined, I can't think it was been around for six or seven years before I joined the business. So we're, in, we're approaching 40 years old. The business has to evolve. Yeah. It, and it evolves by listening to customers, going, that's a good idea. We can help you with that solution. We will gradually adjust our business and point it slightly in a different direction. And over a 30-year period, you go from the company that made rolls of lead that's all it did to be in the business we are now which is a coatings finished glass and still yeah components business we're very very different business that is driven by listening to what customers want from us and you said richard about the link between sales and marketing i think in our business more than a lot of other businesses that link is so fundamental because our business is about helping our customers sell product. We help our customers with their marketing solutions. We have to help them sell decorative glass. 
Yeah. So we are seeing a customer and saying, Norma to customer, let us help you market decorative glass. And that's how we, yeah. we generate our business. So they are intrinsically um, linked, the sales and the marketing function, and so the, the, um, the product evolution is, and development. They're all intrinsically linked. Yeah. So I suppose the other question would be that if you, had con- if you hadn't have evolved, if you hadn't have developed anything and you were still selling, you wouldn't be the size you are now, but you'd still be going. I can imagine. Would we be going in with less staff? Obviously, with less staff. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't. I generally don't think we would be going. I think if we're not involved, we wouldn't be going. I look back and think in nineteen ninety one when I joined joined this business, I think there was nine manufacturers of adhesive leads in the UK. Right, and as we stand today. There's two of us left. We have a business which is the letters, and that part is part of our business, and we have all the other products we do, and the only other manufacturer left in the industry is part of a, and again, part of a larger business. There is no standalone self-adhesive lead manufacturing business left in the industry. So no, do I think, I don't think it would have been here. I think um, the volumes in the market have declined um and everyone else has dropped by the wayside some went in some went bust some got swallowed up by other companies we picked up in 2010 and 11 as we came out the tail end of the last recession we picked up four businesses for the Wow. What was that? So, but bits. I mean, they were yes. all yeah. remnants of what had wanted. I mean, we, we picked up the um, business that's been Duralead. We picked up some of our, um, their equipment. We picked up the equipment for a company called Betterled. Um, there were two of the very small producers at the time. Um, we bought one of the original companies in this industry, one of the original innovators of the whole lead and film thing, a company called Stained Glass Overlay, which was an American franchise business who was manufacturing film and um, we bought them in 2010 because all these businesses their volumes had slowed down they dropped and there was there wasn't the room in the market for for 10 companies i'd like to think we'd have survived but i suspect we may have gone the way of the of the other mm. For eight companies that are no longer interesting out there doing the uh, that's the way of the world. Our businesses need yeah. to evolve and change. Uh, however, good business were at the time, if they don't evolve and change and keep up with the times, new technologies, new products come past them. You know, we remember Yahoo and AOL. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> I think we learned about those in history. Yes. <laughs> At the time, they were great business. Honestly, it's I, all I, I used to a, use. I, I had my email, one of my first email addresses was, 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 was you know, an AOL address. Yeah, I, I, I had a Yahoo address, I'm sure. And someone the other so day... you're younger than me, you see. Uh, well, yeah. you, 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 younger, but, I think, came post-AOL. 
Yes, well, yeah. I remember America Online. Definitely yes. remember that because that's how my... I'm sure it was my uncle or someone used to log on and, and well, with the noise and everything. And it was yeah. America Online. And we thought, it's fantastic. This is the internet. But not long ago, a few weeks ago, I was talking to someone, gave my Gmail address, and it was my name, gmail.com. And he, he said, wow. He said, how long have you had that? Because there's no numbers after your name. And I said, well, there's, well, there's not many people with my name, I can't imagine. But I, he said, Anna.com. He said, you must have had that Gmail address for years. I said, well, yeah, I have. I was thinking, this must be a teenager on the phone or something. It's like, when were you born? And most of them, it's, it's after 2000. It just makes you feel so old. It does. I, I, I mean, I, I remember sort of feeling old. I do remember that when we were, I was in my 20s, and uh, when I, that's when I first joined Regal. I remember first joined, I was doing a job in the sales office. We're part of the group. And I was the young member of the team. And they said, the, uh, the group chairman's secretary has a PC. Oh, We've got permission to use it for two hours every afternoon to do our quotes and to do the work. So I went from, from the Regard office to the group offices, which were next door to us, and sat at, at, her, at her desk. She always finished early in the day. But the last two hours a day, I was allowed to do for quotes for the day. In I think we're all in um, three words that have been word perfect. I think we did them in. And uh, I became a whiz on Lotus 1, 2, 3. <laughs> the, the precursor to Excel. But it was the computer that it was shared by the whole group. Wow. It's very privileged to be able to have my... yeah. Two hours in it every afternoon to be able to write our quotes on it. Look, the speed of technology and change has been incredible, hasn't it? Yeah, it's definitely well. It's definitely responsible for a lot in our industry. That's for sure. Because without the machinery, without the computers telling the machinery what to do and telling us what to do half the time as well, it, it just helps everything. It's just I just wondering what how, what this industry would be like without. All the computerization that's in there. I mean, this has it's actually become from a an industry that was in reality, it was wasn't far off being a joinery business with PVC. Yes, yeah. To now a there's a fully automated factories out there, and yeah, it's a very, very, very different how uh, how the uh, how things manufactured, but still. It's, there's a lot of the same people are still in the industry. There's a lot of yes. the, the people from the people those early change. days. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe retiring off and uh, doing some good things. So, yeah, it's... Uh, well, on that note, with your journey in the fenestration world, is there a low point that sticks out for you? There's been a, there's been a few over the, the years of why am I doing this? But I think... I won't be the first person to say this in his podcast. I think the, the lowest point has to be March 2020. As we turn the lights off, we close the factory. There's the time I think we had 102 employees in the business. We furloughed pretty much everybody. We went home and I thought, this is... The best part of 30 years I've been in this business, but are we ever going to come out? Is this what we're coming back out to? Mm. And it's a low point 
sort of financial, the cost of what's going to happen. But I think it's it was a difficult time for a lot of people who were were running or owning businesses because it was the it's almost helplessness. There's nothing you can do about it. Most challenges that we faced over the thirty years, you've got you you can say. But it's my fault. We shouldn't have done that. I'll take some respons- I'll take the blame, and I'll try and fix it. Yeah. This that lock that lockdown and the the closing in the businesses. Well, this is completely out of our control. We've there's nothing we can. We haven't got ourselves because of our mistakes into this situation. And however good we may think we are, there's nothing we can do to affect us to get out of this situation. We just have to go home. Watch the cash. Keep in touch with the with the team, and just hope that this is going to be a short, sharp shock, and we're going to come back to to better times. And we came back to to bumper times. Yeah, we, we came out. It was an, it was no one could expect what we came out to. But those five or six weeks. We're pretty tough times, I think, for anybody who owns a business. You're watching your cash vanish. You're looking at your, you think, oh, my customer's going to come out of this the other end. Even if if we know we have the resource and we've been prudent enough to put a little bit away, which our customers have got out, we're going to get paid. That was a tough time. Definitely the low point, I think, of yeah. 30 years. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. I think... A lot of people I don't think really thought about owners during that time. You know, most most of the teams in out there were sort of, it's a bit like a snow day initially. Everyone was like, oh, do we have to go really? And then after about two weeks, everyone was like, oh, I just, I just got to get out, got to get to work. I, I've got to, you know, I want to get back in. Because I think there was that fear as well, I think, that really kept people in. And then after that, and we sort of realised furlough was there, and and then that that fear was still there. And I was talking to my wife about it the other day. It was like we genuinely were were afraid to go to the supermarket, and we're like yes. we'd, we'd have the conversation between who's going in, and you know masking up, and it was usually my wife. But you know it was that kind of conversation, and then we were disinfecting everything, and now you know everyone's sort of. And then sort of, I just remember adapting to that world again. So you're right, it was busier than ever. And then we sort of had to gradually come into it from a supply point of view. You had to make sure everything was ready, everyone was ready to go again. And then they just, you know, struggling to keep up. Well, I, I remember coming back out. I've done, done our forecasting because as we're coming out of lockdown, I think we came out, um, we came out to work, some of us, I think it was about the 11th of May. And I'd done the forecast for the rest of the year. And I'd had this this growth. I said we're going to do this much in May, which wasn't that much. There'll be a slight upturn in June, so and July numbers will be. I mean, I, I, I planned that, and I think we'd always said we'd get to eighty percent of pre-COVID volumes by the end of the year. And I remember coming out of it, went through to May. May was a very slow start, and I looked at my numbers, looked at what we'd done. We we're very close. I thought. I've really nailed this, this budget thing. I'm re- <laughs> we got to June, and I went, we're 97% of my budget. You know, with support, this is this is good. You know, I I understand what's happening. I did that spot on, numbers exactly where they were. We got into July, and the world went crazy. And we came in. Our order intake was like something like 190% of what I'd budgeted. 
And about a point when you're like, well, I'll give up. No idea what's... <laughs> you know what, the budget I've done, just... <laughs> just yeah. let, let's just get on, we're trying to make something now. Let's... It was... It was and that's... That continued, didn't it, for... Yeah. Still not long ago, to be honest. Still not it's long only, ago. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, on the flip side of that, is there a high point that sticks out for you? Um, I think on a personal high point, um, not so much for the business, but personally, I think the um, the first one was the original management buyout. I've, suddenly, I own part of business that I care about. I think that was a that was a real high point. And equally, I think the second round of of um, the management buy-in and the 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 deal that we did with with Darren and the Cadram team that was a high point as well because I think we'd I'd seen David as my managing director I'd worked for him for best part of two decades it was I'd seen him be able to have his exit he had had his retirement the business was going to continue that was that was a high point but we've achieved something and the business will continue jobs are safe you know we didn't sell it that was very much a, a personal high point I think on a on the business side I think we'll go back a long way to the high point but I think the go back to 2006 we launched a product for the composite door market a lot of work had gone into that months of months and months of planning I've been to China several times looking at trying to work with factories to do designs we bought the stock the containers had turned up we don't know if this is a, a real business. This We think that the whole market's going to love our decorative glass from China and think this is the future of the retail composite door. And we took it to, to Glassex. remember having to display at Glassex, the yeah. composite doors there while decorative glass thinking, I hope we've got this right. Or we're going to turn up and everyone say... Uh, so composite doors are for, for social housing contracts. Why would I want to sell them retail? And uh, we turned up, and it was a phenomenal show. Everybody, I thought, this has really proven us right. This is the right direction for business to take. And I think that was a real high point for us because it, it was the, the first time the business had changed its direction and it then became a success, which gave us the... So to do the um, the blueprint for being able to do that again. When we started the coatings business, for example, we know we can again slightly change direction, go off in a different direction, and we can we can build uh, new businesses alongside our our traditional business. So that was definitely the definitely I think the, the high point is when it's sixteen years ago. It was the last time I had a high. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be enough one coming. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. But I suppose for the other side of that, if it didn't work, it would have been an almighty love with the amount of work you put in. Oh yeah, I I had spent um, I spent months and months and months on that project. I had it become, and it was actually relatively short range. We didn't have that much product. Um, we hadn't got that many designs, but it, I, I I must have been to China. It's probably been four or five times to China to look at prototyping through the design phase. The specific, we didn't understand truly the composite door market. I mean, we, we did launch, but we, we had got the right sizes. <laughs> um, it was a relatively simple market at the time. There was 
people were buying that's a twin vertical and a half moon and a, a half glazed. There wasn't the huge range of sizes you got now. Yeah. It was a big learning curve as a business to understand here's a new door coming. What do we think consumers are going to want? Yeah. It was a yeah, it would have been a very big low after six months of and I think the fact that we also we had multiple containers of stock <laughs> sat in the warehouse <laughs> would have Still been more than an emotional low. I think it would have been a financial low for us. Car boot sales, uh, yes. <laughs> to get rid of them. Well, last question then. If you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from within the fenestration industry, who would it be? And I knew this question was coming as well, which I've listened to all the other podcasts. <laughs> I have keep thinking, I have no idea who I'd want. Is there anybody I want to spend two weeks with? I should say I need to spend it with my joint managing director, with Darren. Um, you know, we can strategize, plan the future of the business. You know, and we are, we are, we are good friends as well as being um, as being our colleagues in this business. But I think now, actually, if I'm going to actually have to spend the two weeks on a desert island, you really want someone you can have a drink with, and we know that some people know, but not a lot of people know. A guy called Chris Kemp. Chris Kemp uh, is now the managing director of Innergas, one of our suppliers for gas filling equipment. And Chris, I've known Chris for too many years. Chris can still drink all night, <laughs> tell tales, long stories about what he's been up to, which are always quite amusing, all night. He is the kind of guy, if you're going to be stuck on the desert island, you need somebody who can have a drink. Chris has actually taken his skill at being a um, an experienced drinker, and he's under his understanding of alcohol too, as well as being in a job in fenestration as the management of Indigas. He also has a sideline of running a bar down in Great Missenden. So he's, I think, he is the guy that you would want to be there. He's going to make sure that you've plenty of alcohol. You can. Talk, to, talk, tell, tell tales, and, uh, and generally an amusing guy, if I'm going to have to spend two weeks with them. Brilliant, brilliant. Guy, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, and until next time, I always leave it open. You're welcome back anytime. I'd love to, love we'll to, see what to happens. do it again. Take care. Thanks, Thanks very you. much. That was a great conversation with Guy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.